I'm Sarah Lippman. Welcome to Torati Mecha Nachyomi with the OU Women's Initiative. Today we will be learning Divrei Hayamim, Chronicles, Volume 1, Chapter 26. Many of the principles of today's class are based on the teachings of Rav Moshe Eisman in his magnificent commentary in the Art Scroll Divrei Hayamim and in his many recorded classes, for which I am deeply grateful. As always, errors and misunderstandings are my own. We have learned that David updated all of the Mishmaros, the divisions of duty shifts, in preparation for the construction of the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple. In chapter 24, he designated 24 shifts of Kohanim, divided by families. In chapter 25, he organized 4,000 Levium into 24 shifts of singers and musicians on the Duchan, the elevated platform. Here, in chapter 26, David assigns 24 shifts of 6,000 Levium to be gatekeepers, Shoarim. Each shift worked two weeks per year under the direction of their Rashim, their full-time supervisors, thus creating a 48-week duty cycle, plus two weeks a year of Yom Tov's holidays, one week of Pesach, one week of Sukkot, during which all Levium and Kohanim chipped in when they gathered at the Beis HaMikdash for the holidays. The four Rashim, the full-time supervisors, the heads of the Mishmaros, were all descendants of Moshe Rabbeinu. They are listed here in this chapter as Shuvael, Yechad Yahu, Rechav Yahu, and Yishia. In addition to singing, Levium assisted in the offerings by passing vessels to and from the Kohanim. They were responsible for all the vessels, for preparation, for washing, for baking, for cooking. They also did all the baking, cooking. That was their responsibility as well. They were responsible for the fine flour used in mincha breads, wines for libations, oil for offerings, and lighting the menorah. Levium compounded spices. They managed the treasuries as well. As a general rule, if it happened in the Azara or the rooms of the Azara, the courtyard, it was probably in the domain of the Livium. In verses 1 through 12, the family units are named. In verses 13 through 19, a goral, a lottery, is drawn, assigning the family units to designated gateways and guard posts, east, north, south, and west, around the Beis HaMikdash. In verses 20 through 28, we will see the other assignments of the Levium, inside and outside the temple. Responsibilities for the Otsros, the treasuries, the funds, field work, officers, judges, teachers, and envoys to the king. Verses 1 through 3. Lamachlakos Lashoarim, for the divisions of the gatekeepers. From the family of Korach, Meshalem Yahu, son of Koreh, of the sons of Asaf. And Meshalem Yahu had sons, Zechariahu his eldest, Yediael the second, Zavadyahu the third, Yasniel the fourth, Elam the fifth, El Yehoenai the seventh. Verses four and five. Ul Oved Edom Bonim. And Oved Edom had sons Shemaya the eldest, Yehozavad the second, Yoach the third, Sachar the fourth, Nisan El the fifth, Amiel the sixth, Yisachar the seventh, and Peulsai the eighth. For the Lord had blessed him, Kivercho Elohim. You remember Oved Edom from chapter 13. It was in his home that the Aron, the Ark, was housed for three months before David brought it to Yerushalayim. Don't Oved Edom's sons have the most evocative names? They're names that ring with life, lived in dialogue with God. Shemaiah, God hears. Yehozavad, God bestows. Yoach, God is my brother. Sachar, reward. Nisanel, God has given. Amiel, God is my nation. Yisachar, there is reward. Peulsai, my deeds. Every one of these names resounds with appreciation to God for his gifts and faith and ultimate reward for effort. You also can't miss the echoes of a very specific theme that runs throughout the names of the sons of Ovid Edom. 
It's a theme that appears elsewhere in Tanakh, associated with the assurance of ultimate ge'ula, redemption, after a hard and difficult exile. For example, in Yirmiyahu chapter 31, Ko'amar Hashem, God says to the matriarch Rachel, Min'i kolech mi'bechi ve'enayach midima, restrain your voice from crying and your eyes from tears, ki yesh sachar lifulaseich, for there is reward for your actions, says God, and your children will return from the land of their enemy. Shemaya, Sachar, Amiel, Yisachar, Pe'ulsai, their names echo there. And in the book of Yeshaya, chapter 62, Hine Hashem Hishmiya el Haaretz, Behold, God has made herd to the ends of the earth. Imru levas Zion, hine yish ba. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation has come. Hine scharo ito, he brings his own reward with him, ufa also lefanov, and his deeds before him. There is maybe one clue. The Midrash in Shir Hashirim Rabbah relates that when the Roman decrees against public Torah study were finally canceled, many of the sages convened in the city of Usha. Anyone who is knowledgeable, let him come and teach. Anyone who is not, let him come and learn. After years of repression, they gathered, learned Torah, and took care of everything they needed to do. When they were ready to leave, they expressed their appreciation to the residents of Usha for hosting them, and they shared a series of teachings in the Torah, each of which illustrates that God rewards hospitality exponentially. He gives great reward for even very small acts of generosity. One of the examples brought there is that of Oved Edom. Mahudin dichtiv peul sai hashmini. What is the significance of the verse that says that Oved Edom's son, peul sai, the name literally means my action or my actions, is the eighth? Rabbi Yochanan answered, it was by virtue of the fact that he performed a tremendous act for Torah. While the Aron was in his home, Ovid Edom lit a candle before the Aron each morning and lit another candle each evening. The Haridvarim kal v'chomer, and isn't it implicitly obvious, continues Rav Yochanan, that if Ovid Edom merited l'hisbarich b'chvodo, to be blessed by God's glory for small acts of lighting candles, and those were not even very necessary actions, the Arun doesn't require light, then you are hosts in Usha, who gave us food, drink, and a place to sleep. Surely your merit and reward will be even greater. The sons of Ovid Edom, Shemaya, Yehozavad, Yoach, Zachar, Nesanel, Amiel, Yisachar, Peul, Sai. Why? I don't really know. I'd love to hear from you with your thoughts on this. So we have Ovid Edom in verse 8, described as Kivercho Elohim, blessed by God. Verse 6, And sons were born to Shemayah his son, Hamim Shalim Levesavihem, who were similar to their father's family, according to Radak, Ki Gibore Chayel Hema, for they were men of outstanding capability. Shemayah's sons were Osni and Raphael and Oved, Elzavad, whose brothers were all capable men, Elihu and Semachyahu. All of these were the sons of Ovid Edom, they, their sons, and their brothers, Ishchael Bakoach Avoda, each one a man of special strength for the Avoda, the service of the temple. Sixty-two children of Ovid Edom. Some highlights going forward. And Meshalem Yahu had sons and brothers, eighteen, and Chosa from Merari had sons, Shimri, Chilkiyahu, Tzavaliyahu, Zachariyahu, in all thirteen. To these were given the divisions of the Shoarim, gatekeepers. They cast lots for the various gates, east, north, south, west. 
These are the Machlokos Hashoarim, the divisions of the gatekeepers for the sons of Korach and the sons of Merari. Verse 12, read according to Malbim. Le'ele Machlokos Hashoarim. These men listed were given leadership of the 24 Mishmaros duty units of the gatekeepers, which were established to correspond to their brothers, the musicians and other Levite Mishmaros. Their purpose was to serve as gatekeepers in the house of God. Verse 13, Vayapilu Goralos, and they drew lots. The four major families of Shoarim gatekeepers are Meshalem Yahu, Ovedadom, Shemaya, and Chosa. Lots were drawn to determine who would stand watch at which positions with no consideration for greatness or social significance. Kakaton, kagadol, levesavosam. Like the small, like the great, according to the father's households. Lasha'ar, vasha'ar, for each of the different gates. The Mishnah in Midos chapter 1 says that watchmen stood at 24 posts in the temple. Verses 14 through 16. The lot for the east fell to Shalom Yahu. For his son Zachar Yahu, a wise advisor, his lot came out to the north for Ovid Edom, the south, and to his sons, the additional chambers, to Shupim and Chosa, the west, by the Shaleches gate on the path that led upwards, Mishmar Leumas Mishmar, each watch corresponding to a watch. Verses 17 and 18 specify the guard posts, at each gate opening to the Temple Mount, at each corner of the Temple Mount, at the gates of the courtyards, and the doorways of the Temple Chambers. This entire passage is vividly drawn. It's a description of locations familiar to the writer and to his audience. The eastern gate, the Shalachas path, the doorway to the side chamber. They're looking at the blueprints for the Beis HaMikdash and drawing assignments based on what they see there. You'll work here on the east side. We'll work here on the north side. Verse 20, And the Levium, Achiah, was in charge of the treasuries of the house of God and the treasuries of the consecrated. In other words, funds for building construction and maintenance, and funds from which communal offerings were purchased. Here begins the lists of Levium whose avodah is neither song nor gatekeeping. There are several people listed here as supervising treasuries or funds, Achiah, also Zesam and Yoel, sons of Yechieli, and Rechavyahu, Yishayahu, Yoram, Zechri, and Shlomos. Ushvuel ben Gershom ben Moshe, Nagid al Haotzaros, and overseeing all of the funds was Shivuel, a grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Gemara in Bava Basra and elsewhere has a pretty surprising story about this grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu. This grandson was Yehonasan, the son of Gershom, son of Moshe, and he had hired himself out in service as a priest to the idolatry of Micha in the tribe of Dun, as told in the book of Shoftim chapter 18. When asked how he could lower himself to serve idolatry, he tried to justify himself by saying that he just did it for the money and he didn't actually believe in it. In fact, this story is also brought as one of the Divrei Torah said by the sages in appreciation for their hosts in Usha. We refer to that from the Medrash Shir Hashirim. When this story was told in Usha, Rabbi Meir cited a verse from the first half of the book of Malachim, chapter 13, about a very elderly prophet living in Beis El. Rabbi Yossi said, that was Yehonasan ben Gershom ben Moshe. The students then asked, how could it be that a priest for idols had the merit to live such a long life? From the days of the Shoftim, the judges, well into the first temple era? Yes, replied Rabbi Yossi, because he didn't believe in it, and he discouraged others from believing in it too. When David HaMelech was organizing the roles and responsibilities for the Holy Temple, now here in chapter 26 of Devi Hayamim, Within the lists of the families of the Levium, he came to this grandson of Moshe and sent for him. 
And when he saw how much Yehonasan loved money, he appointed him to the job of chief financial officer over the temple treasuries. Better to let him use this side of his nature and service of the one true God than to have him off working at Pesalmicha trying to get rich. V'chi Shavuel Shemo? V'halo Yehonasan Shemo? But in Divrei Hayamim, his name is given as Shavuel, not Yehonasan, asks the Midrash. Why? Answers Rabbi Yochanan, Shavuel means Sheshav Lakel, that he returned to God with all his heart, at least for as long as David HaMelech lived, believing in him and his capacity to do good, Shavuel ben Gershom ben Moshe, Nagid al Haotzeros, Shavuel, son of Gershom, son of Moshe, could be a prince over the treasuries. These treasuries were well-funded by the time we're reading about them here at the end of David's life, in anticipation of the construction of the temple. Verses 27 and 28. They dedicated and contributed from the wars and from the spoils to support the house of God, plus all that Shmuel the prophet consecrated, and also Shaul ben Kish, and Avner ben Ner, and Yoav ben Surya, all who consecrated. Wow! This verse is star-studded with the greatest of the great of the generation and their contributions to the temple. What brings all these tzaddikim together here? It's that blood, sweat, and tears they shed to lead, support, and defend the Jewish people during their lifetimes. The depth of kedusha of holiness that they achieved through relentless dedication, Mesiris Nefesh, was incredible. When a person like Shmuel Hanavi, or Shaul ben Kish, or Avner ben Ner, or Yoav ben Suriya is maktish, sanctifies, dedicates valuables to be used in the service of God, the value goes way beyond the market value of the metal or the materials. Those valuables aren't just money. They were acquired through acts of what's called in the startup world sweat equity, acts of holiness, fierce love, dedicated leadership, putting their lives on the line for the Jewish people and to sanctify the name of God. Their contributions, indeed, are lechazek lebeis Hashem. They strengthen the house of God. A beis hamikdash built of those contributions? The materials might be finite, but the kedusha, the holiness, will last forever. Abarbanel writes in his commentary on Melachim Beis, chapter 8, The primary greatness of the holy temple is, of course, its holiness, but there's also the grandeur of its templeness, so to speak, its size, its splendor, the richness of the construction. If we look between the lines here in Dere Hayamim, some of that magnificent splendor becomes visible to us. The appointment of 38,000 members of the tribe of Levi, 24,000 of them employed in service in the temple. 24,000! Look and see, says Abarbanel. See if you can find anywhere in the world that employs 24,000 people in honor of God, like there were in the Beis HaMikdash. 4,000 of them singers, and an equal number of them musicians, plus the honor guard at all the gates and the paths leading in, and 120 Kohanim blowing fanfares on silver trumpets, chatzotros. All of these are the minimum assignments. The numbers can and do go higher. He says, who's heard of such a thing? Who has seen such a spectacle of expansive holiness, splendor, and praise of God? We might wonder, what now? How about today? In the collected writings of Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, Volume 7, in an essay entitled Our Mission, Rav Hirsch writes, The primary, most universal duty to be performed by the Jewish nation as a whole and as individuals, without interruption, is ushmartem, stand on guard, 
Ushmartem es davar, stand guard for my word. Ushmartem es stand guard for my service. Ushmartem es brisi, stand guard for my covenant. Ushmartem es hashabos, stand guard for the Shabbos. Ushmartem es chukosai, stand guard for my statutes. Ushmartem mitzvosai, stand guard for my commandments. Ushmartem es mishmarti, stand guard for my treasure that I've entrusted in your care. Our forefathers truly understood the requirements of their Jewish guard duty, and they performed it accordingly. Our people, particularly our leaders, consider themselves to be on never-ceasing active service duty, in a state of constant alert around the sacred heritage of God. Whatever part of our heritage has become a reality in our own lives down to this very day, we owe to the guard duty so valiantly performed by these keepers of our nation's treasure— The law of God set down for us in clear categorical terms and in minute detail are the standards we uphold in every phase of our lives. We too stand guard, valiantly keeping our heritage present and real for ourselves and our children. The ideal of a personal, domestic, national life built up in accordance with divinely ordained standards and duties— That is the Mishkan, the tabernacle. That is the Mikdash, the sanctuary. That is the sacred heritage for which God has appointed every individual in Israel and the people of Israel as a whole to act not only as workers and priests, but also champions and heralds. The strict self-surveillance, the constant alertness, lest we neglect or violate the sacred heritage entrusted to us by God, this is the momentous task of Jewish guard duty, Shmirah which God has called upon us to perform for his sanctuary. It is for this guard duty that the leaders of our people have educated us with incomparable wisdom and strength. Rav Hirsch goes on to say that as we have guarded the sanctuary, guarded the Ark of the Covenant with the Luchos, the Ten Commandments at its core, the Torah we've been guarding has guarded us, giving us support and shade, strength and life itself. The sanctuary has truly been our sanctuary, our safe place. The Jewish people, us, may well look back with pride upon what we have accomplished in our duty shift. Through our efforts, we've demonstrated seriousness, reverence, love, and joy. Amam leches kohanim, a nation of priests. Indeed we are. Everything about David's plans for the Beis HaMikdash is an expression of the service of the Levium. Singers, musicians, guardians, operational duties— and Kohanim bringing offerings, living life always on active duty, always in service of God, always intensely aware of the closeness of His presence. It's what we do. It's who we are. Thank you for learning together with me. Le'ilui Nishmas, Rose Foreman, Rachel Rachel, Basar Yaleb, and Rachel Zeitlin.